Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 12th chapter of Romans as we continue our study through this greatest letter ever penned. Last week, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read that and make just a couple of sentence comment about what we saw from Paul's teaching there. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what we talked about last week was Paul's appeal to do something here. His appeal is that we as believers would present our bodies to God as living sacrifices and that we would use the members of our bodies in day-to-day activity in such a way that Jesus Christ is exalted through what we do, that our lives are to be lived as an act of worship day in and day out by the things that we do. That was the challenge that we saw from Paul's appeal. And what he is going to do today in the beginning of verse 2 is he's going to tell us how to do that. He's going to give us the key to living a life that is a life of worship so that our actions and all that we do bring glory to God. What is the key to seeing that accomplished? Here's what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What we're going to do this morning is, I was hoping, I even promised you last week that we were going to look at two things here and get through the whole verse, but I lied. We're only going to get through half of the verse and look at one thing. We're going to look at the first half of verse 2. The, first of all, the what. What is Paul calling for here? In fact, what is he commanding here? Here's what he's commanding. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul is calling for transformation. And what he does is he states this in two ways, a Negative way, and then a positive way. Here's the negative way. Do not be conformed to this world. I'm just going to make a brief comment about that because that's not the primary emphasis Paul is making here. But when he says, do not be conformed to this world, he's talking more than simply you modifying your behavior to please God. In fact, Just the simple external modification of your behavior does not necessarily even please God. 
Because God's concerned about something far deeper than just an external morality or adherence to a code of conduct. Have you, have you ever known anyone that from all external appearances in the public eye, in your eye, looked like they had it all together and were living a really exemplary life, only later to discover that really that wasn't the true picture. There was something else going on. You ever come across that? Maybe some of us could say, yes, I see that every morning when I look in the mirror, right? All of us, I would say the same, all of us in some degree are trying to work on this picture on the inside to square up with what we want everybody to see on the outside. What needs to happen is internal transformation of life. That's really the emphasis that Paul is making here. Let's go to the second half of the verse. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What is the meaning of that word transformed? If Paul is giving this as a command, it's pretty important that we understand what the biblical etymology is or background of that word. So I want to just dive into that for a moment. I want to show you four truths. I'm not going to exhaust what Scripture says about it. I'm just going to give you four key truths about what this word transformation means. It's a Greek word that Paul is writing here, and it is used one time in the Gospels referring to the person of Jesus Christ. And the circumstance in which it is given, really, if we look at it, helps us to understand what this word transformation means. The circumstance is uh, related to an event that is known as the Mount of Transfiguration. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, page 822. Here's the setup. Jesus takes three of his disciples, only three, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up a mountain with him. And something incredible happens on the mountain. Let me read those two verses, Matthew 17, 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. That word, Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17, 2, is the precise word that Paul used in Romans 12, 2, when he's, when, that is translated as transformed. Same word. So let's look at what Jesus, what it means referring to Jesus, what happened to Jesus here to try to get the basis of a biblical usage of this word. Jesus was transformed or transfigured. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was God in human flesh. 
But for the disciples and those who interacted with Jesus, when they looked at him with physical eyes, what did they see? They saw his humanity. They saw this normal-looking human being, nothing flashy or fancy on the outside, just an average guy visibly with the eye. But then on this mountain of transformation, something happened. For a moment, Jesus let the glory of who he has eternally been. He's been the God of glory throughout all of eternity. Then for 33 years, living within this clothing of humanity so that what is seen is just his humanity. But for a moment there, his glory, what was true about him internally, broke through the shell of his humanity so that they saw on the outside what was on the inside. There's an understanding of the word transformation. Transformation, first of all, means this. It's an internal reality that brings about a change on the outside. When Paul says, be transformed, he means be changed, radically changed inside, and then that internal reality needs to break through the external visible picture. Boy, do... We need that as Christians, as the world need to see that. They need to see that we are fundamentally different. If they don't, they're going to think nothing about this thing called Christianity. There needs to be an internal change that brings an external visible byproduct to it. First part of transformation I just want to make an application to that. You see, Christianity is not about this modification of behavior. There are those that try at times to treat it like that, moralists that try to treat it as essentially all it is is a change of behavior. That's not Christianity. Christianity is an internal transformation that results in behavior change. Let me put it to you like this. If you're a believer and you are struggling with a particular temptation, you have a, you have a temptation that just keeps plaguing you and far too often it ends up in an act of sin, what is the answer to that struggle? Is it for you to try really hard to modify your behavior? That's not going to do it. You can only accomplish that for a period of time. What has to happen is there's got to be an internal transformation so that there can be an external visible change in the action. You're never going to, by your power, by your effort, effectively carry out long-term the change without the internal change in transformation. 
That's what Christianity is about. It's essentially about who you are internally and what's going on inside of you. So that's the first truth about transformation. Here's the second. Transformation is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. The word that Paul uses here for be transformed, it's given in the Greek in the present tense. Here's what that means. He is saying, keep on being transformed. Not a one-time, okay, I got it, I'm done. No, he's saying every day you're to be about this thing called transformation. You're to keep on keeping on being transformed. That's a part of what it means to be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Please look there in your Bibles. Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth. Here's going to be another critical verse to help us understand some additional truths about transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul writes, And we all, with unveiled face, all meaning believers, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is His Spirit. Let me show you two truths about transformation here in this verse. First of all, it's this. Transformation is becoming increasingly like Jesus by seeing Christ as He is. Listen to it again. Transformation happens as we Behold the glory of the Lord. We see Jesus for who He truly is. We behold it. We understand it. We grasp it. We embrace it. We see Him as He is. We behold it. And then comes the being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, The way that it works in transformation is that our transformation happens as we see Christ as He truly is, and then what happens is the Spirit of God begins to change us in one degree after another into the likeness of Jesus. So transformation is becoming like Jesus as we see Him for who He is. And then number four. And it says it right at the end of the verse. Transformation is the work of the Spirit and the work of the believer. You see, this comes, Paul wrote, from the Lord who is the Spirit. What comes? The transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So transformation is the work of the Spirit first and foremost. But secondly, transformation is the work of the believer. We're to partner with the Spirit. That's why Paul gives this as a command. He's saying, in light of the mercies of God, Romans 12 verse 1, in light of all that God has done, there's only one reasonable response. You need to be a transformed person. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you're not to say the same. I don't mean just the miracle of your sins being forgiven. I mean you're supposed to be continually becoming more like Jesus. If you're not, you misunderstand Christianity. 
It's to be an ongoing, growing reality in your life where you cooperate with the primary work of the Spirit as you're seeing Jesus for who He is, the Spirit transforming you from one degree to another into the likeness of Jesus Christ through an ongoing process that's an internal reality becoming an external manifestation. That's all four truths right there wrapped up into one. That's the first part of the phrases that we're looking at. Be transformed. And then what Paul does is he now moves to the how. In the second part of the phrase, he tells us the means that God uses to bring that about in us. How is it that That transformation is going to become ours. Yes, the Spirit does it, and we cooperate with Him, but how specifically is that to happen? We've hinted at it. Let me make it more explicit. Paul says, here's how. It is by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I want to just hang here for a moment to emphasize the import of that statement. One of my theological heroes, he's been dead for many years I didn't ever meet him personally, but I know him through his books, through his writings, through his expositions of Scripture, just in a brilliant, brilliant mind, student of the Word. I believe he, Martin Lloyd-Jones, was very accurate when he made this statement about that phrase in Romans 12, 2, by the renewal of your mind. He writes, The whole secret of understanding the biblical doctrine of sanctification is found in those words right there. Let me just explain that for a minute. The whole secret of understanding the doctrine of sanctification. What's the doctrine of sanctification? Sanctification is everything following conversion for the believer. It's the believer's entire life from salvation forward. It's the emphasis when the Scriptures are writing here to the believer. It's the emphasis in the New Testament on everything about how the believer is to live. Paul, and Paul said, and Martin Lloyd-Jones agrees that all of the Christian life is really summed up in that phrase, by the renewal of your mind. That's the key. So here's the question. If God's grand ultimate goal for every believer is to become like Jesus Christ and undeniably in Scripture, that's the goal of God. And if the key to becoming like Christ is through the renewal of your mind, then here's the million-dollar question. How important is it that you and I as followers of Christ give ourselves to the renewal of our mind? 
It's preeminent. It's radically critical to every day of our life. So let's talk now about this idea of the renewing of our mind. What is a renewed mind? What does that mean? Why is that necessary? Well, let me read another verse that'll help give a little deeper understanding of why the mind needs to be renewed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Same author, this is Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. And he makes a short statement here about having a renewed mind. He writes in Ephesians 4.23 that believers are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Do you notice any difference between what he wrote in Romans 12.2 and what he wrote here in in Ephesians 4.23? He added a phrase or a word. He talks about being renewed, not just in your minds, but in the spirit of your minds. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Your mind has a spirit. Meaning, your mind has an opinion. Your mind has a focus. Your mind has a viewpoint, a mindset. It's not just a collection of a bunch of facts and data. Your mind has a personality to it. It has a focus and a philosophy to it. And here's the problem. That spirit of your mind has a bent. It's broken. It's not as God wants it to be. I'm not talking simply to the unbeliever here. I'm talking to the Christian here. Paul is writing to the Christian. We need our minds renewed, the spirit of our minds renewed, because we have a problem with the reality of our humanity. So here's what happens. When you put your faith in Jesus, there is a transformation that happens instantly where you are in a right standing before God. God sees you perfectly righteous with the imputed righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, forever forward and always. That's how you're going to be in a standing with Him. But the problem is there's one aspect of your redemption that is not accomplished yet. You still have this mortal body. You still have this human reality. Your spirit and soul are seated with God at the right hand of God with Christ, but you're still walking around on this earth with a broken mortal reality and a part of that is you've got this mind that's broken you have a mind that has a bent that is not perfectly toward God I'll show you this in contrast of what a perfect mind should look like we need to look at the person of Jesus Christ if you know anything about Jesus just think about how who Jesus was and how Jesus lived and this will become apparent what was the guiding influence of Jesus's life what was the purpose for which he did everything it was for the glory of God God was preeminent in his life everything that he did he did 
to bring glory to the Father. Every decision that he made, every thought that he thought, everything was related to the all-surpassing glory of God and his desire to honor and glorify God, his longing to be with his Father. Everything in his life was dictated by that reality. That's not our reality as a believer. When we get saved, that does not automatically happen. We have a mind that has a bent toward not God, but toward us. Isn't that true of your mind? Isn't your mind in its own personality, in its own viewpoint and perspective, doesn't it have an automatic default to think about you instead of about God? And what has to happen is that mind that has that bent because of sin needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed so that more and more it leans away from this bent toward self-centeredness and moves more toward this bent toward God and His glory. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. How could He say that? Here's why. Because His Father was everything to Him. His Father was the reason for every decision, every action, every motive. That's what a mind ultimately is to look like. And so ours are not that way. And so what needs to happen is we need to be in this process of having our minds renewed so that it becomes progressively Degree by degree, more like that. What is it that renews our minds? 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Please turn there. Here we have a different author, the Apostle Peter. But Peter talks about the power of the mind here. Let me read verses 13 and 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see this? This is a mind set absolutely and completely on God that he's calling for, very similar to Paul here, but then look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You see that last statement there? He's writing about what the reality was pre-salvation and what can be the reality even in salvation if our minds are not renewed. And that is, there's an ignorance that leads to worldly passions. What is that ignorance? It's an ignorance of God. It's an ignorance of God. So the question, what is it that renews the mind? Here's the answer. A knowledge of God is what renews the mind. It is our knowledge of God that brings about renewal. What needs to happen is that we need to learn to train our minds to see the all-surpassing greatness and supremacy of Jesus Christ, the very perfect, visible representation, God in the flesh. We need to train our minds so that Christ becomes 
all-consuming to our view. He becomes the most beautiful thing to us on the planet. And that beautiful picture of Christ causes the enticements of the world to be seen for what they are as ugly and not desired and Christ and His glory and His beauty to be desired. That's what has to happen. That's how our knowledge of God affects our lifestyle. We see Jesus as the God of all glory as the most beautiful thing to us, the desire of our heart and our longing. And that begins to change from the inside out everything about us. Philippians chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit there. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Titus 3, verse 5. This is the only other place in the New Testament where the word that Paul uses in the Greek for renewed in Romans 12, 2 is used again. It's right here in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. So this is going to give us a better understanding of the renewal of the mind process. He writes, He, God, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, listen, by the washing of regeneration, that's salvation, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How does the renewal take place? It's by the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit doing the work of renewal in us, taking the truth of God's Word, the picture of Jesus in God's Word, taking that truth, working it into us so that there's a change in our life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Flip over there, Philippians 2, 13. Paul here, writing to the church at Philippi, He writes, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. It's the Spirit of God who works in you to will. Here's what that means. To desire. To long for the right thing. He helps give you the right desires. He works in you to change your will to want what He wants, to want His will. He works within you so that Christ becomes the vision of all-surpassing beauty to you and the thing that you most desire. He works in you to will. And then He works in you to work. That's what you do. He gives you the right desires. He woos you to the person of Christ, and then He gives you the power to live out that great desire for Christ in day-to-day living. It's interesting that that verse, Philippians 2.13, comes right on the heels of Philippians 2.12, where Paul says this, work out your own salvation. Isn't that interesting? Work out your own salvation for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. So there's a part that we play, 
but it's God that is the chief actor in the process of our transformation and our renewal. So, again, if God's ultimate goal for you is for you to become like Jesus, and it is, and the way that that happens is through the renewal of your mind, and it is, then how important is it for you to have a renewed mind? It is paramount. That's God's desire for you. It's paramount. So how do you do that? Let me just give you, obviously this should be pretty obvious over what we've already covered, but let me just state it to you in three ways. Number one, here's what you need to do. You need to throw yourself into the truth of the Word of God. You need to read it and meditate upon it and memorize it. You need to saturate your life with it. Why? Because that's where the picture of the all-surpassing glory of Jesus is. And that's the picture you need to be changed. That's the picture that the Spirit will work in you to bring about this desire and longing for that that supersedes all the enticements of the world so that you're willing to say no to them and yes to Jesus. You've got to saturate yourself with the Word. Your part is to pour yourself into the Word. Pour it into you. And then the Spirit will work in that, this process of renewal unto transformation. Secondly, it's just another way of doing the first thing. You need to listen to those that have got this incredible picture of the all-surpassing greatness of Jesus and who have preached on it and written on it, not just contemporary people, but there have been so many great men down through history that have just dived so deeply into the surpassing beauty of Christ and written about it. I read them and it so captivates me and calls me up as I read the picture that they paint there of this beautiful surpassing picture of Christ. You need to be exposed to that. You need to take some of the time that you spend with media entertainment and add in some real theological depth in reading some of the great authors and writers of history about the greatness and the glory of God. If you subject yourself to that, it's one of the things the Spirit will use to grip you and call you forward. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. We shouldn't be satisfied with where we're at. And then thirdly, what we should do, realizing that it's the Spirit that has to do this in us. He's the primary actor, primary agent. So what we need to do is we need to come before Him with the Word and with the truth that others have written, and we need to get humble before Him and say, Oh God, 
Your Spirit needs to do this in me. I'm humbling myself before you. I'm begging you, work this change in me. I'm aware of my weakness in my mortal flesh and the spirit of my mind that wants to lean another way. I need your help. Please change me. Work this process one degree after another as you make me more like Jesus. I need your help. I can't do it. You can I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Here I am. Here's the word. Work it in me as I try to work it out. That's what we've got to do. We need both of those. We need this external thing that the Spirit takes and puts in us. And then we need this internal work that the Spirit works out of us unto transformation through the renewal of our mind. And if we do that, then we're able, verse 1, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, living a life of worship to Him because, first part of verse 1, the mercies of God have so captivated us through what He did through His Son. Wow. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is so packed with just foundational truth for the Christian life that he's going to spend the rest of the letter really extrapolating upon what he has said in verses 1 and 2. Really what he's going to do in verses 3 and on is he's going to show us what it means to live that kind of a life in daily practice. Here he's laying down the great foundational principles of that truth. So, What you need is a renewed mind. If you're a follower of Jesus, set your heart toward that. Set your goal on getting to know the supremacy of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ so that He becomes supreme over everything in your life. Read the Bible. With that in view, oh God, show me the glories of Christ. Listen, the Word of God is about the Son of God. The written Word is about the living Word. When you understand that principle, He'll start unlocking truths about the Spirit, about the Word of God that you've never seen. The the written Word is about the living Word. Pour your life into that goal. What we're going to do now as we close is we're going to participate in communion. And what a perfect tie-in to what we're talking about because the argument, the plea Paul makes here in Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, I appeal to you because of the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? It's what God has done for us in Jesus through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. That's what communion is about. It's about a symbol, a picture of Jesus' death. The The bread represents the broken body, the Juice represents the spilled blood. It's that ultimate sacrifice that the Father and the Son paid to buy your redemption. Let this communion be a plea from God based upon His mercies that you would give yourself to a transformed life through a renewed mind. He deserves it. His sacrifice is worthy of it. So I'm going to pray and then the ushers are going to come and pass the elements. If you're a follower of Christ, this is for you to take 
as you remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're hearing the truth today and you're saying, I want that, I want the forgiveness Jesus offers, you can get saved this morning. Put your faith in Jesus and take communion for the first time as a child of God. It's a free gift that is being offered to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, God, thank you for the all-surpassing greatness and glory of your Son, who is the exact representation of the Father, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done. Holy Spirit, help the glory of Christ to so penetrate and permeate our lives that it ruins us for everything else. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.